Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We would be at a stalemate, and what I understood in that meeting, the meaning of stalemate was the security assistance would not come. So even though he said the words there were no quid pro quo, he then went on to say, but the security assistance will not come unless these investigations are done. Is that what you're saying? My understanding, that's what was meant by stalemate. So we're listening to this Ambassador Taylor now testifying before the that, House uh, impeachment Ambassador hearing. Sondland gave me about his understanding of President Trump's thought process. Ambassador Sondland is a businessman. President Trump's a businessman. He was explaining to me the relationship, the, the understanding that uh, a businessman would have when he was about to sign a check. And by that, he clearly meant that President Trump was thinking about or had in front of him the possibility of providing security assistance to Ukraine. It was similar to writing a check to someone who you're about to send. He used that analogy very clearly uh, to indicate that this would require something. If that person owed him something before he signed the check, he wanted to get that, get whatever he was owed paid back to him. And Ambassador Volker used very similar language about a week later, which indicates to me that they had that conversation as well. Did Ukraine owe anything to the United States? Mr. Goldman, they didn't. They owed appreciation for the support, and they were getting support, and they appreciated that, but there was, not an, there was nothing owed to President Trump on that. But you understood the upshot of this comment given, made by both Ambassador Sondland and Ambassador Volker to be that President Trump believed that Ukraine owed him something personally. Is that accurate? It's hard to understand, but uh, there was a feeling um, on, by President Trump um, that he, and this came out in the, in the transcript, uh, I'm sorry, this came out in the discussion uh, with the inaugural delegation when they came back to have a conversation with President Trump on May 23rd, that he had a, he had a feeling of having been wronged uh, by the Ukrainians. Um, and so this was something that he thought they owed him to re, re, uh, fix that wrong. Right, but what he, what he was talking about, as you understood it, because in the context of the conversation, is that what he owed him were these investigations that he wanted. That, that, that right? would have been to fix the wrong, exactly. And those investigations into the 2016 election and Biden and Burisma. That's correct. Now, during this early period in September, you, we've talked a little bit about the fact that you continually heard that the president... Uh, was repeatedly saying that there was no quid pro quo. Is that right? That's correct. And he, he still says that repeatedly today. But regardless of what you call it, whether it's a quid pro quo, bribery, extortion, abuse of power of the office of the presidency, the fact of the matter, as you understood it, is that security assistance and the White House meeting were not going to be provided unless Ukraine initiated 
these two investigations that would benefit Donald Trump's reelection. Is that what you understood the facts to be? Mr. Goldman, what, what I can do um, here for you today is tell you what I heard from people. And in this case, it was what I heard from Ambassador Sondland. Um, he described conditions for the security assistance and the White House meeting in, in those terms. That is, that were dependent upon, conditioned on, um, pursuing these investigations. And you heard that from Ambassador Sondland himself, correct? Correct. And you also heard a similar story from Mr. Morrison as well, is that right? Who also talked uh, to Ambassador Sondland um, about the conversations that he had had in Warsaw with Ukrainians. And what Mr. Morrison recounted to you was substantially similar to what Mr. Sondland recounted to you, right? Yes. And so regardless of what Ukrainians may say now, now that everything is out in the public and we're here in this public hearing, that they felt no pressure from President Trump. It was your clear understanding, was it not, that in early September, when the pressure campaign was still secret, that the Ukrainians believed that they needed to announce these public investigations. Is that right? Mr. Goldman, I know that the Ukrainians were very concerned about the security assistance. And I know that they were prepared or preparing um, to, do, to make a public statement, that is, with a CNN interview, that they, that was being planned. Those are the two pieces that I know. And that CNN interview was to announce these investigations as you understood it, right? That was the implication. That was certainly the implication. Um, we've been focused a lot on the September time frame, but I want to go back two months to July, before the July 25th call. And you testified, Ambassador Taylor, in your, your opening statement that it was in the middle of July when you understood that the White House meeting was... This is the Tom Hartman program. We're going to play straight through the uh, testimony of Ambassador Taylor, and well, this is the questioning by the attorney for the Democrats on the committee. Here we go. So there were several conversations about how to have this phone call that eventually happened on July 25th. And you described in your opening statement a, a July 10th White House meeting with a number of officials where Ambassador Bolton used the term that uh, something was a drug deal. What did you understand him to mean in hearing that he said that, use this term, drug deal? Ms. Gomer, I don't know. I, I don't know what Ambassador Bolton had in mind. And was that in reference to a discussion uh, in that meeting related to the White House meeting that President Zelensky wanted and in connection to the investigations? The context of that comment um, was the discussion that Mr. Daniluk, who was Mr. Bolton's counterpart, Ukrainian counterpart, the national security advisor, had had with Mr. Bolton. And that conversation was very substantive up until the point um, where the White House meeting was raised and Mr. Ambassador Sondland intervened to talk about the investigations. It was at that point that Ambassador Bolton ceased the meeting, closed the meeting, finished the meeting, um, and told his staff to report this meeting to the lawyers. And he also later then uh, indicated to Fiona Hill, who was also a participant his, uh, on NSC staff, that he, he, Ambassador Bolton, didn't want to be associated with this drug deal. So it was and the implication was it was the, the, the domestic politics um, that was being cooked up. And did Ambassador Sondland say this in front of the Ukrainian officials, to your understanding? Ambas Ambassador Sondland, in the meeting where Ambassador Bolton was having a conversation with his counterpart, raised the issue of investigations um, being important to come before the White House meeting that had just been raised. When, and Ukrainian officials were there? And Ukrainian officials were in that meeting, yes, sir. Now, around this same time in mid-July, did you have any discussions with Ukrainian officials uh, about these investigations? 
I don't recall. Well, let me show you a text message that you wrote on July 21st, where you wrote it again to Ambassadors Sondland and Volker. And if you could just uh, read what you, what you wrote here on July 21st. Gordon, one thing Kurt and I talked about yesterday was Sasha Daniluk's point that President Zelensky is sensitive about Ukraine being taken seriously, not merely as an instrument in Washington domestic reelection politics. And Sasa Deniluk, I think you just said, is Ambassador Bolton's counterpart, right? He's the National Security Advisor to the, it was, he's no longer, but was at the time. What did you understand it to mean when that Zelensky had concerns about being an instrument in Washington domestic reelection politics? Mr. Deniluk understood uh, that these investigations um, were pursuant to uh, Mr. Giuliani's request to develop information, to find information uh, about Burisma and the Bidens. This was very well known uh, in public. Mr. Giuliani had made this point clear in several uh, instances in the beginning, in, in the, in the uh, springtime. Um, and Mr. Donaluk was aware that that was a problem. And would you agree that because President Zelensky is worried about this, they understood at least that there was some pressure for them to pursue these investigations. Is that fair? Mr. Donaluk indicated um, that President Zelensky certainly understood it, that he did not want to get involved in uh, these type of activities. Now, I'm going to move ahead now to July 25th, which was when President Trump and President Zelensky had the phone call. But before we get to the phone call, I want to show both of you a text message, neither of which, neither of you is on this text message. It is between Ambassador Volker and Andrei Yermak, a top aide to President Zelensky. Um, I will read it because neither of you is on it. Ambassador Volker says, good lunch, thanks. Heard from White House, assuming President Z convinces Trump he will investigate slash get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, we will nail down date for visit to Washington. Good luck. See you tomorrow, Kurt. And this was a half hour, less than a half hour before the call actually occurred. Now, Ambassador Taylor, was Ambassador Volker with you in Ukraine at this time? He was. Did you know that he was prepping President Zelensky for this phone call with President Trump in this way? Not in this way, uh, Mr. Goldman, but I knew that Ambassador Volker um, was prepping Ukrainians for the phone call earlier on. Uh, that is, in, at a meeting in Toronto on July 2nd, um, uh, Mr. Vol Ambassador Volker had a conversation with uh, President Zelensky um, uh, and had indicated in a phone call that he, at that time, was going to talk Mr. Zelensky, President Zelensky, through um, the, the steps that need to be taken in order to get to the phone call. Understood. And you testified earlier that the security assistance had already been frozen, to your knowledge, at least by July 18th. Is that right? That's correct. So that was just a week earlier than this. That's correct. So. Just so we're clear, Ambassador Taylor, before this July 25th call, President Trump had frozen the security assistance that Ukraine needed and that the White House meeting was conditioned on Ukraine initiating this investigation and that had been relayed to the Ukrainians. Is that an accurate state of play at this time? That's an accurate state of play. I, at that point, had no indication um, that any discussion of the security assistance being uh, subject to conditioned, by, conditioned on investigations had taken place. Right, but you understood that the White House meeting was. That's correct. All right, let's move ahead to this July 25th call and between the presidents. Now, am I correct uh, that neither of you were on this call? Is that right, Mr. Kent? That's correct. And, That's correct. and you were neither correct. as well? So you both read it after it was uh, released publicly at the end of September? Yes. Yes. I want to spend just a, a little time uh, reading the transcript, um, as we've been encouraged to do. And I want to particularly note four excerpts um, of the transcript. One that relates to the security assistance we've been talking about. Another that discusses a favor that President Trump asked of President Zelensky. 
A third where President Trump asks the Ukrainian president to investigate his political opponent, former Vice President Biden. And then a final one where the Ukrainian president directly links the desired White House visit to the political investigations that President Trump wanted. So let's look at the first excerpt, um, which is near the beginning of the call when President Zelensky discusses the military aid that the U.S. provides to Ukraine. He says, I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next steps. Specifically, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. Now, at the time of this phone call, Ambassador Taylor and, and Mr. Kent, you, you both knew that the aid had been frozen. Is that right? That's yes. correct. And um, Ambassador Taylor, you testified that President Trump obviously also knew that the aid had been frozen as well, since he was the responsible for doing that. Is that correct? That's what I had been told. That's what we heard on that conference call, yes. But to neither of your knowledge, the Ukrainians were not aware of that at that point. Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. But right after President Zelensky thanks President Trump for his great support in the area of defense, President Trump then says, and we'll go to the next excerpt, I want you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say Ukraine has it. And then at the end of the paragraph he says, whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Now, Mr. Kent, you've testified a little bit about how important this White House meeting was to President Zelensky. How would you expect a new Ukrainian president to interpret a request for a favor from the President of the United States? I cannot uh, interpret the mind of President Zelensky uh, other than to say that it was very clear that what they were hoping to get out of this meeting was a date and a confirmation that he could come to Washington. Obviously, you can't put yourself in the mind, but if the Ukrainian president for a country that's so dependent on the United States... This is Ambassador uh, Kent for, being for things, uh, interrogated by Daniel Goldman, who is the attorney for the, uh, requested for the Democrats to do a on favor. How do you think the Ukrainians would interpret that? Well, if you uh, go further into the call record as part of this, and we don't have it on screen, but to the best of my recollection, reading it after it was released on September 25th, President Zelensky went into uh, having whatever your problems were, that was the old team, I've got a new team, and we will do whatever is appropriate uh, and be transparent and honest about it. I, I don't remember the exact words, but uh, he was trying to be, uh, in his own words and response, be responsive uh, to uh, conduct uh, the business of Ukrainian government in a transparent and honest manner. Now, when he talks about this um, crowd strike and the server, what do you understand this to be a reference to? To be honest, I had not heard of crowd strike until I read this transcript on September 25th. Do you now understand what it relates to? I understand it has to do with uh, the uh, story that uh, there's a server with uh, missing emails. Uh, I also understand that one of the owners of or, or uh, of CrowdStrike is a Russian-American. I'm not aware of any Ukrainian connection to the company. Now, are you aware that this is all part of a larger allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election? Yes, that is my understanding. And to your knowledge, is there any factual basis to um, support the allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016. Tom Harbin here with you. This My is absolutely devastating testimony for Donald Trump. I am taking bets on Twitter as to how long it is before Trump says it was all Giuliani and throws him completely under the bus. We'll be back with more of Mr. Goldman's uh, interrogations of Mr. Kent and Taylor right after this. This is the Tom Hartman program. Historic impeachment testimony before the U.S. House of Representatives uh, Intelligence Committee. We'll be right back. ...find out about that, so whatever you can do with the Attorney General would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution, so if you can look into it, it sounds horrible. Now, at the time of this call, Vice President Biden was the front-runner for the Democratic nomination in the 2020 election, and 
Mr. Krent, are you familiar, as you indicated in your opening statement, about these allegations related to Vice President Biden? I am. And to your knowledge, is there any factual basis to support those allegations? None whatsoever. Um, when Vice President Biden acted in Ukraine, did he act in accordance with official U.S. policy? He did. Now, let's go to then the last uh, excerpt that I wanted to highlight, which is President Zelensky speaking, and he says, I also wanted to thank you for your invitation to visit the United States, specifically Washington, D.C. On the other hand, I also want to ensure you that we will be very serious about the case and we will work on the investigation. Now, Ambassador Taylor, right after President Zelensky mentions his much-desired Washington visit, he says, on the other hand, and then says that Ukraine will be very serious about the investigation. Is this the same link between the White House visit and the investigations that Ambassador Volker had texted to Andre Yermak just a few minutes before this conversation? That's my assumption. Now, just to summarize what we've just read in this July 25th call between the presidents, the Ukrainian president thanked President Trump for security assistance that President Trump had just frozen, to which President Trump responded that he wanted President Zelensky to do him a favor, though, by investigating the 2016 U.S. election and the Bidens. Then President Zelensky says that he will pursue these investigations right after he mentions the White House visit. Is that your understanding, Ambassador Taylor, of what we just read? Yes. And Mr. Ken, is that yours? Yes. I yield back. The majority time has expired. Uh, would you gentlemen like a brief recess? Well, let's take a five-minute recess, and then we'll resume with minority questioning. You're listening to Tom Hartman. With all the problems unfolding for the Fed and central banks, you may be asking some very important questions. How close are we to the next economic collapse? What will it look like just before the crash? And how can I protect my investments and my retirement? There are a few people better suited to answer these questions than ITM Trading's chief market analyst, Lynette Zhang. Her fact-based research on the markets, currencies, and economy is second to none, and her videos have prepared people for almost every major downfall in the U.S. economy this year. If you haven't heard of Lynette Zhang and ITM Trading, I highly recommend looking them up. They're pioneers in economic education, and they're experts at creating strategies to protect you against the next inevitable crisis. If you're looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile economy since 2007, go to youtube.com slash itmtrading. I recommend learning as much as you can before the next crisis hits so you can make the most educated choices while there's still time. That's youtube.com slash itmtrading. So there's a five-minute recess, which, you know, typically means 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> this is absolutely remarkable. Marcy Wheeler over at EmptyWheel.net cataloged the nine lies of Devin Nunes in his uh, opening impeachment statement. She said, first of all, he opens it. He starts it with a lie. He says that Democrats accuse Donald Trump of being an agent of Russia. Well, Democrats have never accused Donald Trump of being an agent of anybody other than himself and his, you know, the Trump crime family. Nunes then claims that the Democrats don't have more than circumstantial evidence of collusion. Right. Actually, solid evidence was laid out in the Stone trial, if nothing else. He says, in fact, Mueller said there was evidence of conspiracy, which is stronger than, conclusion, than collusion. It says two lies. Nunes claims there were one-sided leaks. That's lie number three. Nunes claims most Republican witnesses were denied. They got three witnesses. That's lie number four. Nunes said that Mark Zed called for a coup. That's lie number five. Nunes now complaining about projection, claiming that the Steele dossier, uh, etc., lies six and seven. I mean, it's just it's just remarkable what's going on. This is ab absolutely devastating testimony. It's the impeachment hearings for, you know, or against Donald Trump. And uh, we're all taking bets on how long it is before Rudy Giuliani gets thrown under the bus. And welcome.
Welcome back. The uh, the recess or the hearings are in recess right at the moment. And it's it's supposed to be a five minute recess. It started about two minutes ago. So I'm guessing it'll be about a 15 minute recess. <laughs> we'll probably be picking up the hearings when we come back from the break. Marcy Wheeler over at Empty Wheel cataloged the nine lies of Devin Nunes in his opening statement. Uh, the Republican uh, uh, toady, Trump toady. Uh, he's, you know, you keep in mind, he's the guy who uh, was running top secret information back to Trump in the White House back a couple of years ago. I mean, it's just, a, you know, Devin Nunes has no zero credibility. Uh, she says it's nine lies. Uh, Seth Abramson is tweeting 12 lies that Devin Nunes told. So, you know, take your choice. Uh, you can find them both over on Twitter. And who's testifying this morning? It was Bill Taylor and George Kent. Bill Taylor is a West Point graduate who served in the Army, including in Vietnam and Afghanistan. He has been described as a man of honor, a public servant, a role model. The former ambassador to Afghanistan, who worked with Taylor, described him as a most capable but unassuming government servant, and saying Bill always volunteered for the tough postings. He worked for the State Department under both Republican and Democratic administrations. And Bill Taylor was the ambassador to Ukraine, confirmed by the United States Senate under the presidency of George W. Bush, and is now the acting ambassador to Ukraine. So, you know, for all practical purposes, he is, again, the ambassador to Ukraine. George Kent is a high-ranking State Department official. He works for the State Department. He oversees the U.S. relationships with Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. These are all former Soviet states. These are all countries that had been absorbed into the Soviet Union and now since the fall of the, of the Soviet Union in 1991 um, have, have you know, regained their independence and, and uh, some, like Ukraine, have been trying to move in the direction of democracy. Some, like uh, our Azerbaijan, uh, and Belarus have been moving more and more rapidly in the direction of autocracy, of just, you know, full-out kleptocratic autocracy. Kent, Kent oversees our relationship with those uh, governments. Uh, he has served 30 years, nearly 30 years, as a nonpartisan career foreign service officer. He has served under, three, under five presidents, three Republicans and two Democrats. And right now he is uh, representing the United States as a diplomat in uh, Warsaw, Kiev, Tashkent, Uzbekistan, and Bangkok. He was the deputy chief of mission in Kiev from 2015 to 2018. It's the impeachment hearings against Donald Trump. We will continue with the hearings. And, you know, if, if we're still in a break and we come back, we can even pick up your calls on. And welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Boy, there's a real bombshell in this testimony that Mr. Taylor, Ambassador William Taylor, our ambassador to Ukraine right now, and the ambassador to Ukraine under George W. Bush, that he laid out today. And this, this is something that he said, I mean, this is just mind boggling, that he learned just last Friday from one of his staffers, one of his staff members, who was in a car with Gordon Sondland, the Oregon hotel multimillionaire who gave a million dollars to Donald Trump's um, uh, inaugural balls. And, and we still don't know where most of that money went, by the way. Trump raised all this money for his inauguration, and it seems to have, you know, millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of it seem to have vanished. But in any case, uh, Gordon Sondland donated a million bucks, and so Trump made him the U.S. ambassador to the European Union. But Trump also knew that this is a guy who gave him a million bucks. And so, you know, he could rely on him to be a, a reliable toady and do what he wants. And so he sent Sondland off to Ukraine to, to try to, you know, engineer the investigation into Hunter Biden and Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company, and to try to find some proof that it was actually the Democratic Party operating out of Ukraine that hacked the DNC's own servers and Hillary Clinton's emails and all that kind of stuff, that it was the Democrats who did it to themselves to try to lose the election to Donald Trump or, or to try to win the election and pin it on Trump or God only knows what. But this is what Mr. Taylor said. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone. Now, keep in mind, this was in a car in Ukraine in the afternoon, which means that this guy, Sondland, 
was calling Trump to say, I'm being asked some questions here and I, I need to know the answers in the middle of the night for Trump. Trump, by the way, has said, oh, I don't I, you know, I don't know Sondland. You know, I, I met him, but so anyhow, this is what Taylor said, and I quote, the member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about, quote, the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump that the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. In other words, the Ukrainians were saying, okay, we're going to give in to your extortion and bribery here. You are trying to extort us, in other words, threaten us with harm. We've already had different numbers between 11,000 and 14,000 Ukrainians die in this actual open conflict with Russian forces or paramilitaries on the eastern end of Ukraine. And so he's saying, basically, you guys have the weaponry that we need, these missile, shoulder-fired missiles that, that can take out a tank. And so, yeah, we'll have a meeting with CNN and we'll tell them that we're investigating Hunter Biden for corruption and Joe Biden along with it. See, Trump is, Trump is thinking that this is, I mean, he knows that when Comey, FBI Director Jim Comey, came out and said a week or two weeks before the election in 2016, came out and said, yeah, we're reopening this investigation into Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton immediately lost three points in the polls. And even though a week before the election, he came out and said, or maybe it was a month before that he announced it, but whatever. Even a week before the election or thereabouts, he came out, you know, Comey comes out and says, ah, we didn't find anything. The damage was done. Trump knows that. He knows that, you know, Comey put him in, in office by announcing an investigation into Hillary Clinton. And so he's trying to get the Ukrainians to repeat this. He, you know, it's the exact same script, only, you know, in recycle. By the way, the hearings are in pause right now, if you know, so... And we will play them live throughout the day, throughout today. So back to this. So Taylor is like basically hassling Sondland and saying, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. And by the way, what is all the stuff here that's at stake? And so Sondland calls Trump in the middle, apparently in the middle of the night on his cell phone from Ukraine. Trump takes the call. And Trump is talking loud enough into this cell phone, or they're in the car, and maybe Sondland's got it on speaker, or he's just, you know, it's, but it's loud enough that Taylor's staff guy can actually hear Trump, as well as Sondland, who he's sitting next to. And he says, following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. In other words, Ukraine announcing on CNN that they are going to investigate on behalf of Rudy Giuliani and, and the president. Ukraine announcing this in a way that might flip the election of 2020 toward Trump that would reflect poorly on Joe Biden. This is all operating on the assumption that Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee. Which, you know, at the point, at the, at the point in time that Trump was doing this was probably a fairly safe assumption. Basically, you know, what Sondland is saying, what these guys are saying is that Trump said that it doesn't matter if Ukraine gets security assistance. What matters, what really matters is that I get my investigation. This is another one. It is last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker, I think the hearing is going to re resume any minute now. So last Friday, a member of my staff told me events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yermak. Following the meeting in the presence of my staff, presence of my staff at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President, oh, I'm sorry, I said it was in a car, it was in a restaurant. Uh, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev, or Kiev, as apparently they pronounce it in, in Ukraine. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about, quote, the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump that the Ukrainians were ready to move forward following the call. And then I just, you know, I shared that with you. He said that uh, Trump cares more about the Biden investigations and all this sort of thing than anything else. So the uh, chairman is back in his chair. They're shooing away the uh, photographers. I'm guessing this is going to start again in maybe a minute or two. Just to bring you up to date, just a very quick 
recap. At the very beginning of the hearings, Chairman Schiff, Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, laid out basically the prosecutor's brief against Donald Trump for attempted bribery and extortion. And I would say, given the fact that the Ukrainians were willing to have the meeting with CNN and had the whistleblower's story not hit the news, the day before the president of Ukraine was willing to meet with CNN to basically do what Donald Trump wanted, it wouldn't have been attempted bribery and extortion. It would have been actual bribery and extortion. So this whole thing is just mind-boggling. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for people who listen to our podcast. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code T-H-O-M, to try it for free. Blue Chew, it's the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. So we're back. This is Devin Nunes, the Republican on the committee. This now it's the Republicans' turn. So he's going to try and make a conspiracy case here that that the Democrats are just you know blowing smoke. Here here we go. Zelensky himself insists there was nothing improper whatsoever about the conversation. Indeed, the routine nature of the call helps to explain why, in this committee's last public hearing, Democrats recited a fictitious version of the call instead of reading the actual transcript. The Democrats depicted the president saying, quote, I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand, lots of it, on this and on that, unquote. The transcript did not show President Trump saying anything remotely like that. The president did not ask Ukraine to make up dirt on anyone. The Democrats are not trying to discover facts, they're trying to invent a narrative. And if the facts they need do not exist, then they'll just make it up. Not only does President Zelensky deny the Democrats' characterization of the call, but as Ambassador Taylor testified to this committee, the Ukrainians did not even know at the time of the call that a temporary delay was put on the security assistance for them. Furthermore, as the ambassador testified, these holds occur from time to time. Both he and Ambassador Volker were confident the delay would be lifted. And in fact, military aid to Ukraine has actually substantially improved since President Trump took office. Ambassador Taylor testified that President Trump was the first president to see that Ukraine was afforded Javelin anti-tank weapons. This was a very strong message that Americans are willing to provide more than blankets. This was the Obama administration's approach. Note this important fact. The security assistance was provided to Ukraine without the Ukrainians having done any of the things they were supposedly being blackmailed to do. So we're supposed to believe that President Trump committed a terrible crime that never actually occurred and which the supposed victim denies ever happened. I'd like to briefly speak about the core mistruth at the heart of the Democrats' impeachment drive. They claim the president tried to get the Ukrainians to, quote, manufacture dirt against his political rivals. This is supported by precisely zero evidence. Once again, the Democrats simply made it up. 
But let's consider the broader question about why President Trump may have wanted answers to questions about Ukraine meddling in 2016. The Democrats downplay, ignore, or outright deny the many indications that Ukrainians actually did meddle in the election. A shocking about face for people who for three years argued that foreign election meddling was an intolerable crime that threatened the heart of our democracy. While the brazen suddenness of this U-turn is jarring, this denial is a necessary part of their argument. After all, if there actually were indications of Ukraine election meddling, and if foreign election meddling is a dire threat, then President Trump would have a perfectly good reason for wanting to find out what happened. And since the meddling was aimed against his campaign, he'd have good reason for sending his personal attorney to make inquiries about it. What's strange is that some of the witnesses at these hearings and previous depositions who express alarm about these inquiries were remarkably uninformed about these indications of Ukrainian election meddling and why the president may have been concerned by them. For example, I noted previously, Alexander Chalupa, a former staffer for the Democratic National Committee, admitted to Politico that she worked with officials at the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C. to dig up dirt on the Trump campaign, which she passed on to the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Chalupa revealed that Ukrainian embassy officials themselves were also working directly with reporters to trade information and leads about the Trump campaign. Ambassador Kent, you didn't seem to be too concerned about, about it in the last round of questioning, so I'll just skip you because we know that wasn't a concern. Uh, but Ambassador Taylor, you testified to this committee that you only recently became aware of reports of this cooperation between Ukrainian embassy officials and Chalupa to undermine the Trump campaign. From your last deposition, is that correct? Uh, Mr. Nunes, it is correct that I had not known about this before. That's just this is Devin Nunes, the uh, head Republican on the Intelligence Committee. Political article basically trying to make a case that there's nothing to see here. We'll be back. The Hillary Clinton You're campaign. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the impeachment hearings against Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton's candidacy. They did everything from organizing meetings with the Clinton team to publicly supporting her to criticizing Trump. I think that they simply did, didn't meet with the Trump campaign because they thought Hillary would win, unquote. Ambassador Taylor, you testified you were unfamiliar with that statement. Is that correct? That's correct. You also said you were unaware that then Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., Valerie Chalet, wrote an op-ed in the Hill during the 2016 presidential campaign criticizing then-candidate Trump. Is that correct? That is correct. You said you did not know that Sergei Leshenko, then a Ukrainian parliamentarian, had admitted that part of his motivation in spreading information about the so-called Black Ledger, a disputed document purporting to reveal corruption by a former Trump campaign official, was to undermine the Trump's candidacy. This was in your deposition. Is that still correct? That is still correct, sir. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Fusion GPS contractor Nellie Orr testified to Congress that Leshenko was a source for Fusion GPS's operation to dirty up the Trump campaign, including the compilation of the Steele dossier on behalf of the DNC and the Clinton campaign. You testified you were unaware that Leshenko served as a source for that project. Ambassador Taylor, is this still correct? It is, sir. You said you did not know that Ukrainian Internal Affairs Minister Arsan Avakov mocked and disparaged then-candidate Trump on Facebook and Twitter. Is that still correct? That is correct. Ambassador Taylor, in your testimony of this committee, you said you were never briefed on these reports and statements. Uh, that you did not do due diligence before taking your post to discover that president, the president's and Mayor Giuliani's concerns may have been, and that you did what they may have been, and that you did not discuss them with Ambassador Yovanovitch. That's still correct. Yes, sir. Furthermore, you said it upset you to hear about the many indications of Ukrainian election meddling 
Your precise words were, I'm gonna read them back to you. Based on this political article, which again surprises me, disappoints me, because I think it's a mistake for any diplomat or government official in one country to interfere in the political life of another. That's disappointing, unquote. Ambassador Taylor, is that still your testimony? Mr. it is. Uh, subsequent to that, um, I looked into the circumstances for several of the things that you just uh, mentioned. Um, in 2016, uh, candidate Trump had made a statement um, saying that it was possible that uh, he would allow Crimea to go back to Russia. Um, he expressed that he expressed the the sentiment um, or the opinion uh, that it was possible that Crimea wanted to go back to Russia. What I can tell you, Ms. Nunes, is that those, that sentiment is amazingly inflammatory to all Ukrainians. Um, so, so I think, so I can understand that. Uh, are you aware uh, during the, I believe it was the 2012 uh, election when uh, at the time, President Obama leaned over on a hot mic to the then Russian president and said that he'd have to wait till after the election. Uh, did that, was that inflammatory to the Ukrainians also? I don't know, sir. I just want to be clear that some government officials opposed President Trump's approach to Ukraine, but many had no idea what concerned him. In this case, it was numerous indications of Ukrainian, Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election to oppose his campaign. Clean up on aisle six. Devin Nunes is trying Once to. Once you know that, uh, it's easy to, to understand. Well, it's, President's it's he's, he's trying to, to weasel to his way out of all this, this thing. And, and, and I think that uh, exactly you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Taylor and Mr. Kent, uh, Taylor so far, he's ignoring Kent, are having none of it. Mr. Hurt. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate y'all's decade of service. This, this is the uh, Republican Congressman from Texas. Service officer, Ambassador Ryan Crocker says, because we have pumps and wingtips on the ground, meaning diplomats, that prevents us from having the need to have boots on the ground in the military. Y'all are an important role in our national security, and thank you and your colleagues. Uh, Mr. Taylor, my, my first questions are to you, and, and these are questions that um, uh, are on years prior to your time in the Ukraine, but I'm pretty sure you can answer them. Um, did the Ukrainians get military, uh, get aid in FY17? Did they get any aid in any FY17? Aid. Yeah. Any? Yes, sir, they, they did get assistance. And they got, they got security assistance as well? They did. And if I said that number was circa, you know, in military assistance around 270 million, would that probably be accurate? Mr. Close. Kent, about, about right. Yeah. Did they get um, um, aid in FY18? Yes, sir. All, including security assistance? Including security right. assistance. We've already talked about the Javelins, the anti-tank missiles that they were not able to, to purchase in previous administrations. Um, have they gotten security assistance um, in FY19? Yes, sir. Prior to the 400,000 million or so that we're discussing or been discussing a lot here today? Uh, they got some previous year, some probably FY18 assistance, but George, you may know. It takes a while once uh, money is obligated uh, to actually reach the country. There were two island-class ships that just arrived in the port of Odessa, sure. uh, and that was with prior year money. So, so there's so about a, de my, like a lag of a year, uh, my, year. My point is that we have been supporting the Ukrainians um, under this administration to, in order to help them kick out the Russians who invaded their country. Yes, sir. 100%. Ambassador Taylor, you earlier testified that Ukrainian officials did not become aware of potential U.S. assistance being withheld until August 29th. Is that, is that accurate? That's my understanding, Mr. Hurd. Would you find it surprising if a Ukrainian official knew about that sooner and did not contact you? I can answer that. It was only after August 29th, when the political argument, that I got calls from the 
from several of the Ukrainian officials. Good copy. Uh, Mr. Kent, had you had any Ukrainian official contacting you concerned about, when was the first time a Ukrainian official contacted you concerned about potential withholding of USAID? It was after the article in Political came out uh, in that first intense week of September. Gotcha. So after that August uh, 29th uh, conversation. Um, there's a lot of talk about Rudy Giuliani and who he was and wasn't meeting. Do we know or have an idea of the Ukrainian officials that he was meeting with over the last couple of years? I don't, sir. Uh, have you had any Ukrainian officials call you after a meeting with, with Rudy Giuliani concerned about the nature or the context of that conversation? Uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Yermak has mm -hmm. expressed concern about his interactions with Mr. Giuliani. And I believe that meeting was somewhere in late August, is that correct? It was, there were meetings and there were, I think, also phone calls. And y'all have talked many times that y'all are still concerned about corruption in Ukraine, is that correct? Sir. Have we seen whatever this anti-corruption statement we wanted the Ukrainians to make? Uh, are you referring to the statement that was being negotiated between Kurt Volker, Gordon Sondland, and Andre Yermak? Yes. That was not an anti-corruption statement, sir. What was the statement? Uh, I think if you go back to uh, the back and forth of WhatsApps that were shared by uh, Kurt Volker, uh, they shared a draft with Rudy Giuliani, and Rudy Giuliani said it would not be acceptable if it didn't mention uh, Biden Burisma in 2016. But that statement was never agreed to or was never issued by the Ukrainian officials? Is that correct? No statement of that sort was issued, correct. And have uh, U.S. businesses ever contacted y'all concerned about corruption within Ukraine? Yes, sir. Um, as, you know, as of this year even? Yes, sir. Because the concern is not just how Ukrainian businesses run by oligarchs are being uh, operated. It's also concerns about how the Ukrainian government is dealing with American businesses trying to operate in Ukraine. Is, is that accurate? American businesses are very concerned about the judicial system in particular. Yes, sir. I yield back the time I do not have, Mr. Chairman. Thank the gentleman, Mr. Castro. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, gentlemen, for your testimony today and for your service to our country. You're listening to Tom listening to all the evidence, everything I've heard and read in this investigation. It seems to me that the President of the United States either committed extortion and bribery of a foreign official or attempted extortion and bribery of a foreign official. When President Trump got President Zelensky on the phone on July 25th, he was talking to a desperate man, wasn't he? President Zelensky was desperate to protect his country and make sure that he had foreign assistance from the United States. Is that right? President Zelensky is very interested in U.S. support, both assistance and political support. Yes, what sir. would have happened if the aid had gotten cut off, Ambassador? What would have happened to President Zelensky's career? And what would have happened to the Ukraine? The assistance, if the assistance had been cut off, uh, he would have been much weaker in his negotiations with the Russians. He would have been much weaker on the battlefield. The Russians may have taken it as an invitation to actually take military action against Ukraine. Is that right? The Russians always look for vulnerabilities, and they know that the United States has supported Ukraine. Um, if, they, if the Russians determine or suspect that that support is lessened or not there, they will likely take advantage. They could have pounced. They could have taken advantage. So he had a desperate man on the phone and he asked a desperate man for a favor. And based on your testimony, it sounds like begrudgingly, President Zelensky may have actually agreed to do that favor and investigate the Bidens and Burisma. Is that right? President Zelensky does say in the transcript um, that he will pursue the investigations. So we know that President Trump asked for a favor to help his political career, and it appears as though the President of the Ukraine agreed to that favor. Do we know why it didn't actually happen? Do we know why there was no announcement in front of CNN or to CNN about an investigation? 
Uh, Mr. Castro, um, as we've determined, as we've discussed here, um, on September 11th, just before any uh, CNN discussion or uh, interview, uh, the hold was released. Uh, the hold on the uh, security assistance was released. But we don't, so the hold was released. Is it possible that the White House released that hold because they knew that a whistleblower had, had basically turned this in? I don't know, sir. Do you think that's possible? I'm not in a position to judge. So we have a president who uh, the other side has claimed or has defended the president saying that the aid went through, that there was never any investigation. But the president attempted to get those things done. And it looks like there was an initial agreement by the president of the Ukraine to actually do those things. So, ambassadors, is attempted murder a crime? Is attempted murder a crime? Attempted murder is a crime. Is attempted robbery a crime? Neither of us is a lawyer. But I, I, I think anybody in this room it, could answer that question. I think that's right. I'll, be, I'll go out on a limb and say, yes, it is. Is attempted extortion and bribery a crime? I don't know, sir. In the minute that I have left, I want you to speak to the nation about what's at stake, Ambassador Kent. You said in your opening statement, you warned about selective prosecutions and a president of the United States going after specific Americans abroad. If this Congress clears President Trump, does it mean that he can go ask another foreign country to investigate another presidential candidate, a member of Congress, a governor, a senator, or any private American citizen doing business overseas? If there's no consequence for a president who does that, then it means there's a green light, doesn't it, for any president to ask any country to go prosecute or investigate an American citizen for political and personal gain of that president. In our special... George Kent is responding Thank to a question, question from uh, uh, Mr. Castro. Uh, I'm sorry, I, Deputy I will, I will repeat, uh, I think on principle, regardless of the country, whether it's Ukraine, the U.S., or any country, uh, the facts of law, criminal nexus, should drive investigations by law enforcement officials, and it is not the role of politicians uh, to be involved in directing the judicial systems of their own country or other countries. I yield back, Chairman. Mr. Radcliffe. Thank you, Chair. Mr. Kent, um, in your prior deposition <clears throat> on page 159, you were asked about the President's authority uh, to release an ambassador for uh, any reason. And your response was, uh, quote, all ambassadors serve at the pleasure of the president, and that is without question. Everybody understands that, end quote. Do you remember saying that? I do, and it's true. The president very clearly has that constitutional authority, correct? He does. Okay. Well, most everybody apparently understands that. Um, but it doesn't include uh, House Democrats. Um, in the context of this impeachment inquiry, specifically addressing Ambassador uh, Yovanovitch, who I know is a friend of yours, um, in alleging an abuse of power in a nationally televised interview, a member of this committee said, quote, it's an abuse of power to remove an ambassador. This is Republican John Radcliffe. You don't like what they're doing, period, end quote. That's not true, is it? Again, I go back to what I said. The president has the right uh, to have ambassadors serve at his pleasure. Okay. So you agree with me that we shouldn't impeach a president for exercising his constitutional authority? I'm here as a fact witness to answer your questions. Uh, your constitutional obligation is to consider the evidence before you. So uh, when did Ambassador Yovanovitch uh, get recalled from Ukraine? Uh, I believe a message was sent on or about April 24th. Okay. Certainly well before the July 25th uh, call that's in question here, correct? Without a doubt. Okay, and she, she had no remaining responsibilities with respect to Ukraine policy for that three or four months in between, I take it. She is now a, uh, she, she was transferred to a, to, to a teaching slot at Georgetown where her responsibilities, among others, were to, to uh, teach a class on Ukraine. Okay, so if President Trump had the constitutional authority to remove her, um, as he did months before the call, and she wasn't in the 
uh, in the Ukraine or have any responsibilities on July 25th. Do you have an explanation for why Democrats are calling her as a witness um, on Friday? I'm here as a fact witness under subpoena, and that's a question you could uh, perhaps direct towards your Democratic colleagues. Uh, Ambassador Taylor, um, uh, we've established that on uh, July 25th, uh, both participants in the call, both presidents, um, ex expressly have stated there was no pressure, no demand, no conditions, no blackmail, no corruption. Um, and I asked you again specifically about a quid pro quo even being possible. Um, and I think we've agreed that it wasn't possible, a quid pro quo involving military aid on July 25th, given President Zelensky's lack of knowledge, correct? President Zelensky, to my knowledge, did not have any idea that the, that the security systems was on hold. Okay. So do you have an explanation for why within days of uh, that phone call, when no quid pro quo was even possible, uh, a person who later became a whistleblower walked into Chairman Schiff's staff to discuss what Chairman Schiff's uh, spokesman Patrick Boland said were the, quote, outlines of the whistleblower's uh, uh, accusations? I'm sorry, what's the question, sir? The question is, do you know or have an explanation for why that person would walk in a few I days do, later I do to not. Chairman Schiff's We'll be office. back tomorrow and we'll discuss the impeachment hearings and, and uh, all, just the whole wild thing that's happening today. Uh, so same time, same place. Check it out. We'll be right. We'll be back tomorrow. And in the meantime, get out there, get active. You've been tag your to Tom Hartman for audio and video archives. Visit TomHartman.com.